Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you, sir. We've been listening to this voice for 10 years. I just got the great news that we will be renewing this series for season 11 in 2022, and I am thrilled. So we can continue to bring good financial excellence insights and thought leadership to businesses around the world. So our topic today, very, very interesting, enabling intelligent finance transformation with change management. And change management is a very popular term in every industry, in every company. And what in the world does it have to do with finance? So let's get started. I have four buzz quotes. Let me read them briefly, and then I'll tell you a little bit more. And then we'll introduce our three esteemed guests. I have a quote from Dave Sutton, and the website is toprightpartners.com. And here it is. Change management is a critical skill in today's C-suite. Change management is a challenge for every organization. So we've set up the challenge of the challenge. Here's buzz number two from Philip Crosby, who lived from 1926 to 2001, and he was called the fun uncle of the quality revolution and the author of Quality Without Tears. And here is his quote, slowness to change usually means fear of the new. Okay, if you're guilty of that, it's okay. Buzz number three is from Jack Welch, former CEO of GE, named Manager of the Century by Fortune Magazine, the CEO of CEOs. And here is five-word quote. This is really packs a punch. Change before you have to. Oh my, preemptive. And here's, Birgit likes that one. And here's quote number four from Peter Singe. He's an organizational learning guru and author of The Fifth Discipline. He says, people don't resist change. They resist being changed. All I can say is, oh my, times four. I think I picked four good quotes. So let me tell you a little bit more. As finance and risk teams embrace technology more quickly than they did in the past, and we know you've all been accused of being laggards. We won't talk about that anymore. Change management has never been more crucial to facilitate efficient adoption and effective implementation. And we're talking about technology, technology, technology. With more organizations moving toward modern technologies for finance, we're talking automation, we're talking AI, artificial intelligence, ML, machine learning. There is often resistance to change as well as, and my quotes didn't mention this, fear of being replaced by something that is not human. We're talking computers, we're talking bots, we're talking iPads, we're talking something. As business conditions and businesses, business models change, finance and risk teams need to transform their own organizations to take advantage of these advancements while ensuring the human element remains at the center of their strategic decisions. I'm talking to all of you leaders in businesses around the world and you startups and you people in anywhere in a team, in a department, in a company, keep people at the center. For these reasons and more change management needs to focus on best practices and comprehensive organizational planning for change from executive buy-in on changes in technology and business processes to communication of the what, sounds like a reporter, the what, the when, the why, the where, the how of a change. I'm going to ask, my, I'm on Zoom, I can see my panelists, I want them to wave. So Birgit Starmans, you're one of the sponsors of this series, wave hello Birgit. Birgit is with us. We also have Jason Rowley at Delaware Consulting. Hello Jason, <coughs> there he is. And we have Ross Wilson at Accenture. Welcome. Ross. And our topic again is enabling intelligent finance transformation with 
change management. So let's get started, Bonnie D in the house. This is an exciting topic because it's about people. People, people, people. We're talking tech, but we're talking what do you do about people who need to change because that's where your company needs to go. Birgit Starmans, let's do a quick intro from you. Everybody knows you around the world, but just in case there are 4.1, I don't know who the point one is, but I heard there's 4.1 people in the world who don't remember you. Shame on them. Reintroduce yourself, please, Birgit. Thank you, Bonnie. My name is Birgit Starmans. I'm with the Global Center of Excellence for Finance and Risk with SAP. I focus on a lot of product launches and new technologies that we have, and also on thought leadership. So this is one of the reasons I'm on this show, uh, really talking about trends for the future in hopefully a bit of an unorthodox way. I've got about 30 plus years of experience, nine years of consulting, and I joined SAP about 22 plus years ago. So I've done everything from consulting to product management, solution marketing, and I'm loving my role at the COE. I'm loving that you're loving your role after all these years. And this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Birgit, are we seeing any trends with women in finance? Do I dare ask anything as far as cha changing the culture, changing the, the structure of the, the teams? Just a quick, is there, is there a, are you seeing more women joining finance? I would say, yeah, but I think finance is one of those areas where historically there have been more women than, for example, in supply chain or manufacturing. Um, but I am seeing more and I see a lot of companies having initiatives out there for diversity and women, women is a part of that. And of course, so many other groups, but diversity is really a big hot topic. So that not only applies to women, that applies to a lot of different groups. Thank you very much. Diversity and inclusion. There we are. Jason Rowling, you're next. Jason, welcome. We'd love to hear from you. Please introduce yourself. What do you do? What's your role? What's your passion for being here? Jason, welcome. Good morning. Thank you, Bonnie. I appreciate you having me on today uh, with this is my esteemed colleague. So my name is Jason Rowling. I'm the finance practice lead for Delaware, North America. I've got about uh, 23 years of experience, 21 of those with SAP. I'm a former platinum consultant with SAP and um, I've been with Delaware just coming up on three years. So passion for the, the subject today is, uh, you know, change management is integral to a successful global implementation. And uh, I've never been a part of a, uh, an implementation that wasn't successful without effective change management. Oh, my goodness. From the trenches. Thank you very much, Jason. <clears throat> very telling. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. You're Mr. welcome. Ross Wilson. So happy to have you here. <laughs> Ross, please introduce yourself. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, <clears throat> my name is Ross Wilson. I'm an associate director at Accenture in our CFO and EV practice. That's for uh, um, enterprise value is what the EV stands for. Part of that work is I'm working on various ERP implementations, primarily SAP, and I've been doing that for the last 25 plus years. Um, kind of like Jason, I would say one of the key things that I've learned from all that time um, is you're not just doing technology projects, you're really doing change management projects. And so my wife actually tells me this when I say I do IT consulting, she says, no, you don't, you do change management consulting because what you're doing is changing the business processes for people. And so I do have a strong passion for that as part of my work. I do see the work that we do is much broader than simply installing an IT system. It's, it's driving that business change and getting the value that people want out of the business. So that's what I've been doing for the last, my years with Accenture, IBM, McKesson, and other companies I worked for previously. Thanks for having Ross. me on. Bonnie. Oh, delight. Ross, what your wife said, what she said, we're just going to, what she said. I've never heard it put exactly that way. And she's right. Is she a business person? Does she work for her own? She's company? a lawyer. So I don't know if that counts as a business person or not, but you know. <laughs> it does. You can, it you really can does. Interpret that as you will. 
Well, tell her that we appreciate her astute assessment of what you do. That is very, very telling and very, very important. So tell tell your wife thank you, and you can do a shout, shout out to her at the end. Thanks for the story. Now is the part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me a quote from a fictional character in a movie, a TV show, or a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic on the surface, on its direct literal meaning, and they're going to relate the quote to the topic in their own words. So Birgit has sent us, Birgit, I'm going to read the scene, if I may, the whole thing, and then I'll get to the, oh, is that okay? There are three words. The quote is, resistance is futile or futile, as some people say, but here's the quote. We are the Borg. Lower your shields. Surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. And it was stated by, you know I was going to do that. The Borg Queen, played by an actress named Alice Krieg, K-R-I-G-E. Of course, we're talking Star Trek First Contact, 1996 American sci-fi film, directorial debut of Jonathan Frakes. It's the eighth film in the Star Trek film series, the second to star the cast of Star Trek The Next Generation. We'll leave it at there. Resistance is futile. Birgit, help me out here. What does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. I would say the first thing that we always hear about when we hear about change is that everyone is going to resist it. So you had mentioned at the beginning, I think finance has a reputation of being a laggard. I don't think that's the case anymore so much. But at the same time, as soon as people hear change, there is this grasping onto what they already know, what they know how to do well. And in part, that's due to job security. And so one of the reasons I picked this quote is because it's very telling. You, you say change, we're going to do something differently. The first reaction is going to be, no, I'm not going to do it that way. What I actually love in the movie that later on it gets turned around and Data, the android, uses it because he then goes back and attacks the queen and they basically did resist and it was not futile. So I actually love the way that it gets flipped around, that there is a good way to do change. So that's a good change. That's a good resistance. But the whole idea is that change is really inevitable and it's really how we deal with it and how we express what is going to change, also how and why, and also really what's in it for me. What's going to make me embrace the change more? And that's really that big part of the communication that I feel is often missing. Thank you. And what's interesting in this era of resignation, I think they're calling it right now, the question is also, why should I change? Do I have to change? Right? Are you going to make me change? And I I should have picked that quote for my opening, resistance is futile. (laughs) I like the futile. That sounds very British when we say it that way. Thank you, Birgen. Thank you for the recounting of the movie. Appreciate that. All those Star Trek fans will appreciate that. Jason Rowling, we're looking at your quote. I don't want to sing it, but I really want to sing it, but I'm not going to sing it. It's a song written by Trevor Horn, Jeff Downs, and Bruce Woolley in 1979, The Buggles. 1977 group formed. They wrote the song in one hour in one afternoon in 1978, six months before it was recorded in Downs' apartment of a stonemason's apartment or stonemason's business in Wimbledon Park in London. And of course, the line is the title of the song, Video Kill the Radio Star. I didn't do that. Video Kill the Radio Star. Jason, help me out. What does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Thank you. So Video Killed the Radio Star is really about, uh, we'll say, in the 80s and 90s, folks, the unease about transitioning to television. And, uh, you know, with the, the transition to television, there was the thought that radio was going to die. What we've seen has been very different. Uh, you know, Google Play, um, iHeartRadio 
Apple, Apple Music. You know, there are a variety of different platforms and a variety of different ways that folks now receive and and um, and listen to their music. And you know, in, in terms of relation for me, one of the things that uh, I found is I've uh, recently purchased an e-bike, and so now I can bike 30 miles rather than five to six miles and tire out. And all at the same time, I can carry my iPhone with me and I can listen to streaming radio. <laughs> wow, an e-bike. Just tell me, what, what, where is it? What do you do with it? How does it work? Quickly. Sure. It's in my garage. I've got the backup battery for it as well. So instead of uh, 17 to 18 miles and petering out, I can go about 25 to 30 miles. Fantastic. A little more expensive than the traditional bike, but uh, instead I can enjoy many, many miles in the Ozarks rather than, uh, like I said, petering out after five or six. Wow, very interesting. We learned something about physical health and exercise today. Thank you very much, Jason. And let's go to Ross Wilson's quote. This is one of our all-time favorites, Ross. I'm so glad you selected it from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferris Bueller, of course, played by Matthew Broderick, is a high school slacker who skips school for a day in Chicago. And the movie was actually, uh, who was it? John Hughes. It was his love letter to Chicago. Mia Sarah, the actress, played his girlfriend, Sloane Peterson. Alan Ruck is his best friend, Cameron Fry. And, of course, Ferris breaks the fourth wall to explain to the audience what he's thinking and feeling. And the quote is, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around you once in a while, you could miss it. Oh, we love this quote. Ross, talk to me. How'd you find this? And what does it have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Well, you know, first of all, it's a quote I love just generally. So there was that. And then the, the movie I love, which is also important. The other probably relevant point here is, of course, Ferris is saying this while he's lying on his bed with his arms behind his back, and he's completely relaxed, talking about life moving pretty fast. So there's the irony of the statement right off the bat. But, you know, in terms of change management, how does this apply? I mean, I think it's an interesting point because at the same time as people think they don't want to change, usually what's happening is change is happening around them without them noticing it. So that's where I think this comment about looking around once in a while, you're missing it, is a very relevant point because people tend to think that things just stay the same for a long time. And if they aren't really observant, they're not getting the fact that things are in fact changing. So I think it is actually very much on point for the topic today as well. But I mean, of course, I really just loved it because it was Ferris. It was, you know, it's just people on here. So. <laughs> and I wish I could do an impersonation of Matthew Broderick's voice because it's just something when he speaks, you just know it's him. Anyway, thank you all for selecting really interesting and fun quotes. I appreciate that. Birgit, I think I'm going to carry around resistance as futile all day long, maybe all week long with me. Okay, now we're going to go to the really serious part of the show. We're going to talk about our topic, finance transformation, intelligently done with change management, also intelligently done. And I'm going to read part of Birgit's statement number one. Birgit, please unpack it, as they say on the news shows, take about three minutes, and then I'm going to put your co-panelists on the spot. Jason, you are sitting virtually next to Birgit at this moment in time. I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree with her. Do not be afraid to disagree with Birgit Starman. She's okay. She can take it, Jason. Just justify your disagreement. Then Ross, you get to agree or disagree with both of them. You can have twice the fun. And remember, that's your three minutes of thought leadership. It's not a yes or no answer. We want to hear what's on your mind, what your expertise says about this. So Birgit told me before the show, she said change management has never been more crucial to executing finance team's tasks, including minimizing risks as we have all come to accept a virtual workplace. I'm going to stop there. Birgit, let's 
level set this into where we are. We're now live. It's November what? November 9th, 2021. Many of us never thought we'd get through 2020. Here we are barreling toward the end of 2021 with great hopes and anticipation for a better 2022. So talk to me. Well, I would say change management has really come to the forefront in the last year and a half. Because if you think about when the stay-at-home orders hit, basically for most companies who are on a calendar year, it was the end of the first quarter of the year. And all of a sudden, middle of March, they had to all stay home and figure out how to close the books because there was nothing like for the personal taxes where the deadlines got extended. Companies still had to close the books for the end of the first quarter and report for legal reasons. And there was really no opportunity to do any change because basically from day from one day to the other, things had to change. And all of a sudden, everyone had to work remotely and become comfortable accessing that data, become comfortable interacting with each other over our little Zoom squares. And that was not anticipated. So there was no long lead up where you could plan for the change, how we're going to do some hybrid meetings, we're going to practice this, we're going to make sure it works. Boom, on day one, it had to happen. So... And, In terms of that, now we see change management really being a big topic because we're kind of backpedaling and retroactively changing things now. So we did it, we got through that quarter and closed, but then we had to go back and actually do some additional change management. Well, okay, that worked, phew, that's great. Now, what can we actually do better? How can we improve things? But the initial change, there was no planning to do that. And this is actually making a lot of companies take a look at change management as part of their risk planning also. If there was to be some monumental change, what can we do to have something place that we can work with right away instead of going into almost a panic mode because their resistance was futile. We were staying home and that was just the mat- the way that the world works. But I think everyone's learned a lot about their capabilities of changing, that it is actually possible to change faster than a two-year implementation, for example. So it is possible. And I think we've learned a lot in the process. We certainly have collectively, We whether it's in or whether it's off, the off the the grid, whether it's in or off of whatever we're doing with technology, we have learned a lot, period, and we were required to change. And resistance was off the table. I love the way you worked in the quote, period. Thank you very much. Jason, agree or disagree? I don't know where you're going to go with this. Go ahead. Up to no, you. No, I, I have to say I definitely agree. Um, in fact, it mm-hmm. was not uh, but a year ago that uh, Director of Finance and Controlling that I was speaking with We had recently implemented a large ERP program for them, and uh, this was just pre-COVID. So when COVID hit the pandemic, uh, her response was, everybody's going to work remote. Everybody's got their ERP of choice. You've got the Teams meetings, et cetera, so we can meet like we are today. But, uh, you know, the the quote from her was, we wouldn't have been able to do it without our ERP system. So, you know, the, the fact that the team adjusted to change, adopted the system very quickly, even you know during the pandemic, the early stages, you know now they've since went to a rolling uh, uh, office where they've got a few folks that are in in uh, each week and rotating shifts. But uh, certainly VRP helped them along their way and adapt to change. Thank you. Very interesting point. And in the past year or so on this series and my other SAP Game Changer series, Jason and Russ and Birgit, Birgit knows this, we've talked about the companies that dip their toe in the water of transformation, of digitalization. Now people are saying digitization. They had a head start. They could be a little more nimble. They could say we're we're capable of changing, of agility, favorite word right now. We can pivot 
almost on a dime to make that next dime. When everything came to a halt, it was like, OMG, what is the world going to do? So the early adopters were certainly ahead of the game. Ross, we'd love to hear your thoughts, agree or disagree with Birgit and or with Jason. Forget about what I said. You're on your own. Go ahead. No worries. Definitely agree with what Birgit and and Jason were saying. I think the add-on I would make to that is it was interesting when they were talking because I was sort of taking me back to like how we were operating at that moment in time. And we were very used to doing projects where people would all come to the same place, sit in the same room, and you'd do a whiteboard exercise for design or for cut over. You would spend all your time working together, testing and physically present together in one place because that was the only way you could do projects. And here we were overnight switched to, okay, you got to be entirely virtual when you do these things that you had traditionally done in person. Closing the books for a, a company is a very typically everybody's in the office all day long for five or six or seven or 10 days doing the same thing in the same place. And again, they had to go entirely virtual. So a huge amount of change around that. And literally people had to, in some cases, companies didn't know how to do that. You know, we were in a happy position where we were already operating with teams and remote workers and people with laptops. But there were companies that were doing this with people who were used to being physically present in an office who had only a desktop and didn't have the option to just switch. And they had to learn how to do this all in a moment's time. And so it was really amazing just to think about the difference because we were able to go through that relatively easily because we were fairly accustomed to that model. But other companies very much at the same time had a lot of challenges with that same issue just because they weren't ready for that level of change. And again, the automation, the ability to Zoom and Teams and all those things was really the big driver for allowing people to take on that kind of work. But again, even then, people were never sure how they were going to do these formally in-presence tasks like working on a whiteboard together or closing the books together. So it's been a big change, and I think people have had to learn as they've gone through the process. Thank you very much. People have to learn as they go through the process. I think that's what we're talking about. Birgit, anything you want to say back to your co-panelists? Um, well, thank you for agreeing. So I'm glad I didn't get a whole lot of pushback. Um, the, the other thing that just occurred to me while, while Jason and Ross were speaking is that I, I would say finance was always hesitant to access financial data in the cloud. And I always feel that it's very interesting that HR was the first line of business that really went that way. And that's also very sensitive information. Mm-hmm. But I think finance learned that, you know, whether it's on-premise or in the cloud, whatever it was, they were still able to access the data, but it wasn't a free-for-all where everybody could actually see everything or they were suddenly not able to see their information. So companies who had authorization concepts in their systems in place, it actually worked, which I think is making finance even more forward-looking than they have been in the past. Thank you. Finance, even more forward-looking. And you did say that laggard didn't apply anymore, but even more forward-looking is is a good thing. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Jason, I was looking at your statements, and there were so many I wanted to pick next, but I'm going to go with statement number four, and I think I saw you give me a thumbs up or an okay. Yep. This is interesting. We're going to introduce some more human terms. You say the best leaders have empathy and can place themselves in another person's shoes. Empathy should be part of your change management approach. Let's stop there. Why don't you give us that lesson in empathy? We don't usually hear empathy along with talking about finance, talking about risk, right? And Ross's eyebrows are leaving his face. No kidding. Okay. Jason, unpack this, please. And Ross is sitting next to you this round and he will dare to agree or disagree. Let's see. Jason, you're up. Go ahead. All right, very good. So I'll go back 20, 23 years when I, uh, when I engaged my first uh, employer and uh, my, my supervisor, he was ex-military and it was very dictatorial style. It was very difficult to uh, submit things to this individual, uh, largely because he had the red pen handy. So I felt like I was back in school. 
right? <laughs> and now, if you look at any leadership books of today, we'll say modern times, empathy is, if not the top, it's, it's one of the top two traits that uh, leaders need to have. So if you can put yourself in the shoes of the individuals that are going to be impacted by change, that's going to be wrought by uh, machine learning, automation, uh, RPA, et cetera, uh, that those are the folks that uh, are going to succeed in today's environment. Very interesting you said that. I have a, a memory flashing. It's not a pretty memory. I'm just going to insert this for a second, Ross, before you speak. Uh, 9-11 obviously was a pivotal day for all of us, and we remember where we were, what we were doing, and with whom we were at the time. I was at a business meeting. I was a marketing director of a small business software company in New York, and yep. I, I won't take you through all the details, but there was such a blatant, maybe it was shock and amazement, but lack of empathy from somebody in the room who had just seen the towers fall on a TV in the lobby when she went to the ladies' room, came back and she was shaking. Nobody at the pay table paid any attention to her. Tears were rolling down her cheeks and they rolled on with, no, no pun on your name rolling, but they rolled on with the agenda. And I'm looking at this woman in, in sheer misery. And I said, what's wrong? And she told me what she had just seen and her brother worked in one of the towers. And I, I just looked around the table and nobody paid it. And they were her relatives. They were, she was somebody's cousin. And I quit the company about a month later. I said, to him, and I didn't define it, Jason. At the time, yeah. I didn't understand. There was a lack of of human empathy. Of course, we were going through change. The world had changed instantaneously that day, and nobody could em empath anything. It was a very strange moment. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you just brought this rushing back to my memory. Jason, thank you. Ross, rescue me. Go ahead. What's your topic? <laughs> What's your comment on agree or disagree with empathy? Go ahead. Well, I love this one, actually, that Jason brought in. I was reading through Jason's points earlier, and I was very happy that he brought some of these in because they were bringing some different viewpoints than I would already bring. The one I, the reason I love this one is because it's something I think I could do better on, honestly, and it's a personal learning opportunity. But I think that we get in this model where a lot of the time when we're driving these projects or change, we just think it's all about telling people how to do something. I'll just tell them, I'll tell them, I'll tell them, they'll get it. And in fact, it's not telling. It's sometimes selling or listening and getting that, feedback and doing that feedback right is critical. And honestly, it's not as a consultant, it's something we don't tend to do a lot of because we're kind of driven to schedules and timelines and budgets. And it's just change or else kind of discussion. And here, I think this one is one that, again, I think is incredibly important and underestimated in terms of the importance and the ability to do it. You know, you need to do it right, but you need to also recognize that you can't necessarily take everybody's opinions into account. You're still gonna have to make decisions and move forward. So there's listening and then there's deciding what to do. Being empathetic is critical regardless of how you do these things. So that's that's the point. Thank you very much. Birgit, what do you think? Well, I, I have to agree uh, with both Jason and with Ross. I think empathy is critical. I think really having that discussion and listening and not just talking at people, but talking with them, making that more interactive. I think that's very important. I think a long time ago when I first started consulting, change management was almost like this, oh, let's do a team building and have an offsite for a day. And that was the extent of change management. And this is, I'm dating myself, uh, probably mid-90s. But in the meantime, we really recognize that change management is much more than just, okay, well, let's kind of get to know each other, but really get deeper um, with a human interaction on a more personal level, because that's what it's going to take. You know, we're, we're all not machines. We are all people. Yeah, we might be doing finance, but um, that human element is so important. So I would agree with both. 
Thank you. Jason, very popular. Anything you want to say back to your <laughs> co-panelists on this one, Jason? Like Brigitte, I'm glad that they agreed with me. I do want to <laughs> add uh, a little bit to this one, though, that uh, yeah. I neglected to before, and that is you know, a company um, in, in a program as large as an ERP brings isn't going to really understand the scope of the risk that the project has without change management, understanding from an empath or an empathic point of view, you know, the, the change is wrought. One of the things that uh, I focus on a lot when it comes to the end user is the building of business process experts or, or subject matter experts. You know, they have the opportunity to absorb new things in these, in these large programs and become much more experts or gain more expertise than what they have in looking at end-to-end -end business processes. So, you know, I think if you can relate to them and how these programs will impact them, but impact them in a positive way, I think that goes a long way towards success. Thank you very much. Who was it who said that they had a manager who, the red pen, was that you, Jason? That was me. Yeah, I was scared of that red pen. I had a manager, a female manager, who had worked her way up from executive, executive secretary to the president to becoming the senior vice president of the organization. She even ended up marrying the president. We won't go there. But anyway, she, she took over the company. <laughs> but anyway, she was a red pen specialist. And when I was their marketing director, and I come in every the next morning and everything on my desk was redlined. And I learned how to become a really good writer and editor at her tutelage, but not in an empty pathetic way not an empathic whatever the word is and it was it was but she wasn't military and I appreciate and do you know that in recent years there there have been I read comments not recently but uh, that in schools teachers were correcting students papers with purple ink pens rather than red because the red was didn't know, the red was considered too harsh to upset the child but purple was kind of sort of like, well, we need to do something about this, Billy or Mary, but we don't want to upset you and make your mom and dad angry at the teacher for critiquing your work. So we'll do it in lavender ink. So you can sort of see it, but maybe anyway, I'm getting off. <laughs> Very interesting. Yes, empathy for the students so they should be comfortable with their learning process. Ross Wilson, you're up next. Thank you, Jason. That was wonderful. Ross, I'm looking at your statement number four, another really, really good pointer for our audience around the world. You say, one of the frequently forgotten areas of change management is empowered users. The key to success in any major ERP project, and I'm going to say in any finance project, is to find the right people who are knowledgeable about the business, engaged with the key people well enough to understand the areas they don't know about, and able to influence change within their areas. Let's talk about empowering. Well, actually, this, yeah, this goes really well with the empathy point that Jason was just making earlier. In fact, I mean, I think one of the things that <clears throat> when we do these programs where you do a finance transformation project is you always walk in and say, hey, let's make sure we get the right people to help us be on the program. But then it typically is, well, here's, you know, Joe or Susie who isn't really doing anything else and is available. So have them be on the project instead. And so you end up with uh, people who are the least influential, who are probably not the strongest knowledgeable about their business, may not have the best uh, influencing skills across the organization. And of course, those are projects that fail or don't go well because people are not empowered and are able to really do the things that need to be done. The projects that do this well, the programs that do this well, literally pick their top people, their best people, and give them the responsibility and the support to be the people that are going to drive the change in their organization. And they're going to be the ones who can actually 
interact with their other team members, influence what needs to be done, know the business processes that need to be righted or changed, and actually help facilitate that change as part of the project. And so you also need people who can think ahead, think out of the box, think futuristic, not just how I do it today, but how should we be doing it? What is a common way to do something that would be simpler and streamlined? Having that just mentality of saying, keep it simple and keep it standard is goes a long way in making these projects very successful. So again, it's really empowering those users and giving them the support they need to make sure their jobs are successful will make your finance transformation project successful. Thank you. Such an important point. Let's go around the table. Birgit is sitting virtually next to Mr. Wilson. Birgit, what do you have to say? I completely agree with that because I think the people who are so valuable at their jobs that should be on these projects are exactly the people that are also valuable in their jobs. And a lot of times it takes a lot of convincing to get them to sign up for an additional project because they're probably sitting there saying, okay, my workload is about to explode. It's not just going to double, it's going to triple, it's going to be exponential. But it's exactly those people that have the knowledge that's required because they are hopefully also the people that are a bit more forward looking in their thinking. I can't think of how many times back in my consulting days, somebody said, well, we need this report. And I said, well, why do you need the report? Well, we have this report today. Well, that's really great. And they didn't really have the knowledge to say, well, you know, we actually don't use this report. They just saw what what was there and they weren't willing to actually think about how they might be able to improve things. And this was really in the days of big R and little r reengineering. So big R meant, you know, everything was kind of gone topsy-turvy. The entire uh, corporation and organizational structures changed. Whereas little r reengineering was really more about let's change the processes. And we focused more on the processes. But if you get somebody that doesn't really know that information very well, they're just going to say, well, we've always had that report. So I used to say, well, what decision are you making based on the information in this report? And if there was no good answer, then I'm sorry, the report had to go out the window because yeah, we needed to get to what information do you need? And then let's figure out how to present it to you. And it really takes those people that have that knowledge um, to be those power users, because they're the ones also later on that are going to be the ones that are assisting others in their own departments and being able to help them out. Because a lot of these questions that come up are really finance questions. They're not IT database. I have, I'm having that kind of a systems issue, but yeah, I'm doing a plan or I'm trying to close the books and I can't get this elimination entry through. It's gonna be more of a financial nature, not an IT nature. So those power users that are part of the finance organization to me are very key in that whole process of change. Thank you very much. I see Mr. Rowling nodding, talk to us. All right, very well. I'm going to take a right turn a little bit on this one. I'm going to go back to the Jack Welch uh, quote. Not specifically that one, but uh, he's very well known for, uh, we'll say, that the A to C ranking. You know, when it comes to annual performance reviews for employees, the A's are certainly the all-stars. The B's are those that can be coached up, and the C's are the ones that they like to coach out. So to Ross's point, you know, we certainly want A players on the project, but the reality is we don't necessarily get that across the board, across all the streams. So back to the empathy, you know, I like to go in with the attitude that we can coach up, that folks are capable and competent and can learn. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean everybody has those abilities, but uh, to look on the brighter side of things. Um, I, I completely agree with them, but I want to bring that back to empathy as well and, and think about the A to C as well as the, the fact that we do like to have those A players, but we don't necessarily get to pick ourselves all the time. So, 
Very interesting. Birgit, I think we should rename this topic. It could be empathy in finance <laughs> transformation instead of change. Change management is very broad and it's a catchword, right? It's a buzz phrase. Everybody knows what it is, but empathy and empowerment. Do we have a third E? Everybody, we have empathy, empowerment, and maybe engagement or enthusiasm. If we could have the three E's of finance transformation from the human side. Birgit, I'm renaming the episode. I'm sorry. Because that's Go where we're t- <laughs> Ross, anything you want to say back to them? No, I like that. I think Jason's comment's very valid. I think he's totally right. You're, you know, the, the reality is you never get the A players that you hope for. And you have to sort of figure it out. So one of the things about, we're going to get to it, I think, in a minute is training, but, you know, and communication. But, but we, you know, the things that you can do then to take a team that isn't fully empowered and make them empowered are really to say, okay, what are the things I need to do for internal team transformation to help make that team successful? And again, this is where typically training, communication, culture change type issues become very important because you need to build people who now will be able to say, I'm going to look for how to do things better. I'm going to say things positively, like I want to transform the business. I, I don't just get stuck in, I want my report the same way I always had it. So you have to build that culture of change. Usually that's through training communications within the core team. So that's a really critical piece, I think, as well. So Jason, thanks for adding that. Thank you all. Very, very interesting. I tell you, let's go to, we have more time. My goodness gracious, we're ahead of schedule here. Birgit, I'm looking at your statement number three. Let's focus on the tech. The tech changes, the transformation in terms of what are we talking about? Not just finance processes, but the technology to get them done, get them done better, faster, cooler, more efficiently. Birgit says, the human element cannot be underestimated. Technology such as AI, artificial intelligence, help finance teams to work more strategically with sophisticated analyses that also enable simulations, what-if analysis, and uncovering hidden trends and business drivers that help the teams model the financial implications of strategic decisions. However, ah, here's the caveat, AI should be used as a decision support tool. It has no knowledge of support of soft factors such as, what are we talking about here, corporate culture. It is not intended to replace human decision-making. So let's talk about Bring in the bots. I didn't say bring in the clowns. Bring in the bots. Thank you, Judy Collins. Okay, so go go ahead. Birgit, take us through this one, and then we'll see what your co-panelists have to say. Go ahead. Sure. And I think it's interesting that a lot of times in our personal life, we're so willing to, to leverage AI. But when it comes to business, and especially finance, we're not necessarily willing to do that. And I've been talking a lot about automation and machine learning and artificial intelligence. And it's super interesting to me that that's when all the change management questions come out. If you're just talking about changing a finance process, we're going to close the books a little bit more differently, or we're going to accelerate this, or we've got a different tool. That's one thing. And the second that you start introducing things like artificial intelligence, I start getting all the questions. Well, you know, what about job loss? Um, you know, is it going to be replacing me, et cetera? And that's where the biggest concern is because we are just trying to do more with less these days. And it's not that we're trying to replace, but that we're really trying to enable finance to do things that they couldn't normally do. So this whole idea of um, really using it as, as a decision support tool. One of my favorite examples is always a merge and acquisition scenario. So an M&A, um, as a company, they might say, well, we could acquire company A or B or C or partner with company D or E, or we could build this product ourselves. 
And there might be many, many more different options. And a lot of times there wouldn't be the bandwidth of a finance team to go through and actually work out what that would look like. But now that we have such decision support tools, so for example, predictive analytics is actually driven by machine learning. It can start looking at, look at those trends and see based on various business drivers, um, what that res financial result could be. And that's really great. And it will make a recommendation saying, okay, one, two, three, here we go. Now, the machine doesn't know anything about corporate culture. So yeah, acquiring company A may be the worst thing that you could do because there's going to be a clash in the types of corporate culture that you have. So even though financially speaking, by purely the numbers, um, you don't want to really acquire that. So you would never want to make a let a machine make that decision. I think where finance teams are more comfortable with it is in a more transactional way. So yeah, here I am, I'm gonna clear some open items. I'm gonna use machine learning. And what's concerning, machine learning doesn't learn something and writes it down in a table for you. It learns kind of like a human learns. So it has all of this information of this is how we dealt with exceptions in the past, say a receivables, uh, a payment came in that covers two payments with a currency dis problem, um, currency conversion issue, and it paid for more than one, just one invoice that wasn't expected. But a machine can probably figure that out and manage to clear that open item. And a lot of companies that go down the transactional path first, they first want to see what it'll post before they feel comfortable letting it post. And after a while, they'll let it post and that's okay. But when it comes to the more strategic decisions where you're doing a lot of simulations, you really don't want that. And I was speaking with um, actually an executive just last week, and I loved his quote. And he said, in his mind, machines should work and humans should think. And Ooh. I love that because that's the whole idea. We have all this information and AI and automation helps us pull all that information together. So we have the information at our fingertips, but it really needs to be a human to make that decision. Thank you. I did a show, another SAP show last week uh, with a, I, the concept of Factory 4.0, Industry 4.0 came up and I remembered the quip. It's not as good as the one you just quoted, Birgit. I think you know where I'm going. The factory of the future requires only two, two beings to be there. One is what, a man, I could say, or a woman, and a dog. The man or woman is there to feed the dog. The dog is there to keep the human from touching the machines. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's been around for a while. So empathy, educate, energize, empower, all those good good words. Let's go around the table. Jason Rowling, comments on what Birgit shared about AIML clearing the decks. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, we're certainly seeing much more with our recent customers and their interest level. It it is certainly peaked with AI, machine learning, RPA. And um you know, some of the reporting, the dashboards, the trend analysis, the, the predictions, uh, those sorts of things for forward-looking companies, you know, these are great. But at the transactional level as well, as Brigitte had mentioned, you know, it's the automation of that, but you need humans still to help train the machine and then to monitor the machine, right? Because the rules themselves aren't static. Uh, they can be built upon, they can be expanded upon. So, um, you know, granted, cost is certainly and cost restructuring is part of these ERPs, but uh, the change management comes into play as you, um, you, know, you teach end users how to adapt and how to adopt to these new technologies and how it will benefit them as well. Thank you very much. Ross Wilson, thoughts, please? All right, I'm going to go a little contrarian here. So okay. I do think that AI is something that is interesting for a lot of finance organizations, but I feel like it's also a little bit overblown and oversold. So the, the rationale for that statement is that 
you know, a lot of times people are saying, hey, I can see this as being a time saver. I want to automate my processes. I think what they forget to do is maybe can I simplify the process or eliminate it entirely, right? And so a lot of times we're spending time doing, you know, close, you know, matching open items, you know, Burgess example or something like that. Do you really even need those open items to be managed anyway? You know, could you just stop doing that? Is that really something that's a value-added activity? You know, maybe there's another way to do that. Maybe it could be outsourced. Maybe there's another approach. So, um, you know, on my current, you know, project I'm working on right now, a lot of the time we spend talking about, well, should I just replicate the AIs that we already have, the RPA, the bots that they already have in place? And I'm sort of like, whoa, whoa timeout. Why are you doing that? You know, is, do you even need to do that still? You know, yeah, you're automating journal entries. Awesome. But do you need to be automating journal entries? You should maybe be just eliminating them, or maybe you could be summarizing them, or maybe you should be doing something else. And so maybe you should be building an interface so you don't have to type it in the first place. Why are you reviewing it and approving it manually when you should just be letting it flow through? So there's a lot of things where, you know, we, again, use AI to automate stuff that could have been probably not done at all or eliminated. And so that's where I think we need to be smarter about where we choose to leverage those capabilities and where we don't. Very interesting. Birgit, anything back to your co-panelists? I have one more topic I'm introducing from Jason when you're done. Birgit, what do you think? I would agree with Ross in that every time you, I try to introduce a new process, process and you start with a whiteboard, you get the process that a company already has today. Because so I tend to throw things out there that are completely out there. And then you end up with a better and more improved process, but it's not what they have today. And it's not this completely wild thing that I put out there just to start a discussion. Because if you really do start with a completely white board, then you're going to get what you have today. Because I think sometimes it goes back to the art of the possible. Not all the teams are thinking maybe this is possible with technology because they just don't know what's actually possible. And you know, in that case, thinking out of the box, you have to just put it out there. Yeah, we can do it because I've always found that it's not usually the technology that prevents progress on a project. It's people coming to a decision on how they want to do things in the future. And that's probably the biggest piece that holds back projects. And it's not the technology will figure out how to make, how to get it done, but it's really, what is it that you want to do? I think this show could be a, a, a primer, primer, whatever you want to say on, on how to, how to embrace, how to understand, how to impact and implement change management processes, not just in finance, Birgit, but in almost any, in any department, in, in any company today. I'm, I'm so excited by what all three of you are bringing to the table. And we have time for one more statement here. Jason Rowling, I found your statement number three to be very, very interesting. He says, as highlighted in Spencer Johnson's book, Who Moved My Cheese? Change brought by IT advancements means moving something, moving to something new that could be better, but also that accountants are leaving something comfortable behind. And he's going to tell us a story about his smartphone upgrade. Can't wait. Jason, <laughs> regale us. Ring, ring. It's Jason calling. Go ahead, certainly. Jason. All right, certainly. So, you know, Ross said he could work on empathy. I myself, you know, admittedly, I could work on change management for myself, even though I'm a change agent when it comes to these projects, right? So I carried around a candy bar phone for years and years, and the folks that I consulted with, they talked about how great it was to be on Facebook, how, it was, how great it was to be uh, with a smartphone, that they could do their calendaring, they could get their email, all of these things, real time, anywhere, any device. And for myself, I thought, well, you know, when I sign off from work, I like to be signed off from work. And so I was a very slow adopter. Uh, I finally came to, uh, we'll say, came to see the light. 
and realized that uh, it could be a, an enhancement, an improvement, not only for my personal life, but my professional life as well. It made me a lot more efficient. It allowed me to do things at odd hours when I had downtime. You know, if I'm sitting waiting to get my hair cut, I could schedule a meeting, those sorts of things. And so although I was uncomfortable learning how to use that iPhone, and even today still uncomfortable about learning some new apps, uh, I've grown accustomed to it, and it's something that I'm accepting of now. Thank you very much. Let's make this personal. Let's go around the table. Ross Wilson, thoughts? Any any uh, fables or, or or anecdotes you'd like to share about? Well, first of all, I need to introduce Jason to my teenager so he can get you know a technology <laughs> primer on how to use his iPhone. So that's probably part one. So um, I think in general, on the comment, I think you know the changes of being driven by you know IT, you know leaving something comfortable behind. I think that to me is something you sort of see that every day, I think in the context of the way people are operating in, in, in change, they, they see the benefits of that shiny new iPhone or that shiny new accounting process or that shiny new SAP environment or whatever it is. And they think that, you know, that's going to be better, but then a lot of the times they don't think about what are the implications of that. I mean, they either overestimate the benefits in their head and then get disappointed later, which is, actually fairly common, or they decide, you know, it's not as good as I thought. Maybe I just want to go back to that old process I'm used to again. So you get really interesting kind of issues when you start talking about this technology change and how how fast people can adopt it. And so it, making it manual, making it fit into smaller chunks is one of the things that's good if you can do that. Trying to give people bite-sized amounts of information so they're not overwhelming them with too much at once is also good. And then also giving them really tangible, specific examples, like how do I translate what I do today into something new that I'm going to do tomorrow? And how do I still get that same level of information or quality or turnaround time or responsiveness that I'm used to? Those are the things that help people get through that kind of technology change. So those are things I've sort of seen from what I've been involved in projects I've been working on. Thank you very much. Birgit Starman's comments on what Jason shared. Do you have any stories to tell us? Any smartphones in your past or future that you're making, still making friends with? Go ahead. Oh, I'm such a Mac girl. It's not even funny. <laughs> and it's always funny because my dad always used to say, well, it would be cell phones. These are great, but all I want to do is make a call. I don't want to snap a picture with them. I don't want to do any of these other things. But, you know, of course, at the time, we didn't really have smartphones the way that we have them today. So the camera were pretty crappy on some of those Blackberries, for example. So I'm a major iPhone girl. And one of the reasons I do keep upgrading is because they keep having better cameras. A friend of mine once said, like, you know, don't you want to keep this like small camera for your pocket? I'm like, well, that's what the iPhone is for. Um, so I think ultimately it, it comes down to a what's in it for me. So I enjoy taking photos. So yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and do the upgrades whenever they're eligible based on my provider. But I think that's also another thing when it comes to change is um, going back to that whole what's in it for me. And because it's action opportunity, instead of doing mundane, boring, manual work until 10 or 11 or midnight um, in the evening that you can actually, you know, have some um, better work-life balance, get things done more efficiently, um, be able to get home faster and actually be more strategic and maybe um, upskill yourself to actually learn new skills. And that would hopefully mean better job satisfaction for you as well. So that's all what's in it for me. And for me, it's better pictures with the iPhone. 
You won't, you only work till 10 or 11 at night. Oh my goodness gracious. You mean I can quit at 11 o'clock? Oh, be still my heart. Thank oh, you. you've gotten emails from me at 1am. I know you have. I know. I have West Coast <laughs> friends who email me when it's 2.30 in the morning, my time here on the East Coast. And I keep my phone on at night. I'm, I'm asleep 2.30 and I ping. Wow, somebody's calling me. No, it was a text message. Anyway, I think Jason mentioned something like turning off work at a certain time at night. I haven't gotten on that train yet. We have four minutes left. I What I'd like to do with the time before we do our gratitude and thank you and call to action at the end is I'd like to have you each give me a prediction if we met again and I hope we will because Birgit's renewing the series and Chris Grundy and Pras Chatterjee they're, they're the three powerful team the trio who keeps renewing the series and we're so grateful Birgit because this is and we proved today it's not just about finance this is about companies and people and progress and, and transformation it's a bigger topic so thank you I want you all to give me if we met one year from today early November 2022, uh, would we still be talking about the need for change management in terms of transformation, focusing, of course, on finance and risk? Yes or no? And one sentence with one comma, one semicolon, and one dash. That's all you get. One sentence, less than 60 seconds, because I'm I'm running the clock here on would we still be talking about the same topic? Birgit, yes or no? And why? One sentence, go. Yes, we would still be talking about change management because that's really been a mainstay, um, as Jason also said, of successful projects. Um, It might look a little bit different. So it might not be dragging people out and being more comfortable with with new processes and new technologies. But I think change management is here to stay for to make people successful, to make organizations successful, to make teams successful. Thank you, Jason Rowling. Yes or no? And why? One sentence. That was a long sentence, Birgit. Go ahead, Jason. Yes, the pace of change continues to accelerate. I know that's overused, but that will continue to be the case. And change management is, is central to be successful in adopting that change. And resistance is futile. <laughs> Ross Wilson, because they were so brief and to the point you get 60 seconds plus 10 seconds bonus. Go ahead. Oh, my gosh. Well, well I, I totally agree that this, you know, a year from now, we'll be talking about change management again. I mean, if you look at the three things that people kind of repeatedly talk about is what makes, you know, financial projects successful. You know, it's active involved change, you know, active involved leadership formal, you know, leadership, formal change management programs and a strong project management. And the one people always skimp on is the change management. They just always kind of come back and say, yeah, that's nice. We'll do, that's too expensive. We'll do that later. And guess what? Those projects are the ones that, you know, have troubles or, or fail. So, you know, this is clearly an area where people tried it the other way and they haven't succeeded. It's clearly going to be something that's going to be critical now and 20 years from now, frankly. So, Thank you. Thanks for the predictions. Birgit Starman's kudos, bravo, thank you, appreciation, namaste for a wonderful topic. You really outdid yourself on this one. And thank you so much, Jason Rowling. Such a pleasure to meet you and have you here. And hello to everyone at Delaware Consulting, Mr. Ross Wilson. So happy to have Accenture on the show. And I hope you feel better. I know you've got a little sniffle and you just did great. So thank you. Love the mug you're drinking from. Shout out to Aaron (laughs) Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at Voice America World Talk Radio. And shout out to Ryan Treasure, who was our part, part of our engineer today. He's the vice president of broadcast operations at Voice America World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off and I have our closing call to action. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? I'm still getting three months to the gallon. How are you doing? Go out and be a game changer today. Wave when I say your name just like Birgit Starman's. Bye Birgit. Just like Jason Rowling. Bye Jason. And just like Ross Wilson. Signing off. Bonnie D. over and out. Bye bye.
Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.